Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang. And for all of us in the Not Old Better Show audience who love PBS television and love dance, and I especially do, we have a guest today who you'll know and love. And dancing is not required, but you can certainly tap your feet, as in bare feet, (laughs) right along with us today. Thank you so much for listening. We've got a great guest today whom I will introduce in just a moment, but quickly, if you missed episodes, last week was our 665th episode, and we spoke to author, inspiring speaker and writer, Cynthia Covey Haller, about her new book written with her father, Stephen R. Covey, Live Life in Crescendo. Two weeks ago, I spoke with Smithsonian associate Ari Weinsvig about his work at the company he founded, Zingerman's Deli. Ari offers great tips on food, business, and life. It's just all wonderful stuff. If you missed those shows, you can go back and check them out along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. And if you leave a review, we'll read it at the end of each show. Please leave your reviews for us at Apple Podcasts. Our guest today is Smithsonian Associate Michaela Malazzi, professional dancer and trained musician. Michaela Malazzi is the four-time Emmy Award-winning host and executive producer of Bare Feet with Michaela Malazzi, a dance travel series airing on PBS. Please check out our show notes for more details about Michaela Malazzi's upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. But we have Michaela Malazzi today. Michaela Malazzi will be talking about her program, Dance in Bare Feet, now in its fifth season. And the host and creator, Michaela Malazzi, will tell this wonderful story of how she's begun this series with her own funds. She's also created it based on her two passions in life, travel and dance. All six episodes of the upcoming Bare Feet with Michaela Malazzi Season 5 feature dance and music cultures within the five boroughs of New York City. Yeah, I feel very lucky that we were able to film a new season during the pandemic. As the vaccines were rolling out, we knew New York was going to open up again. And it has been such an honor and privilege to be able to capture this incredible moment in our history. After such a trying year and a half for everyone, it was even more important for me to showcase the diversity, cultures, arts, and small businesses that keep the city alive. At a time when many people are not yet ready to travel, even though this summer they've been traveling, <laughs> there's still some people who, who don't feel comfortable, we truly show that it is possible to explore the world just by using a New York City Metro card. That, of course, is our guest today, Michaela Malazzi, talking about her fifth season of Bare Feet with Michaela Malazzi. Please join me and Smithsonian Associate Michaela Malazzi as we experience the world together today on radio and podcast, One Dance at a Time. Michaela Malazzi, welcome to the program. Thank you, Paul. Good to talk to you today. Um, Looking forward to this. And uh, I, of course, am a, I'm a longtime lover of dance. You do so many wonderful things with dance. We're going to get into all of that. You'll be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates coming up. We're going to have links so that our audience can find out more information about your presentation. But, of course, we've got you today. So I wonder if you just tell us a little bit about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. Sure. So, um, you know, I, I travel the world through dance and music. And so with Smithsonian 
much like our PBS series, it's all about educating our uh, audiences. And so we decided to do a three-part series about dance, dances from around the world, but three specific regions of the world that are, are have interesting stories. I mean, dance around the world globally, everywhere has interesting stories, but um, three in particular that I featured in our series, uh, one is the Caribbean, and we're going to be focusing on Guadeloupe, the uh, French Caribbean. Um, the second will be the Silk Road, so the migration of dances from the Far East into Europe. And then uh, another whole session just on Ireland and their migration into the United States and influence into American dance from Appalachia all the way coming up through to the north. So it really is this sort of... Um, each session is a, a story about travel <laughs> and through dance, but it's really about how uh, cultures uh, maintained cultures when they traveled, how people maintain their culture, their language uh, through dance, through rhythm. Um, and I feel very lucky that I'm able to have these experiences and feel these rhythms and feel these, these ways that uh, dance and music have evolved for generations. So it's pretty cool. It's very cool. I love it that you combine this with uh, travel. Of course, I, I, I love the dance aspect. It's certainly been a part of my life, not so much as a dancer, <laughs> but as a uh, a good partner, uh, I, I hope at times. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I wonder if you'd just tell us how you first got into dance. Sure. So I started, I mean, I've been dancing ever since I can remember. Um, I don't come, a, I don't come from a family of dancers or musicians, but uh, my grandmother is a wonderful storyteller. And so I think her way of telling stories when we were kids was she would take on these characters and take on their voices and mimic people. And I really gravitated towards that. Um, but I danced ever since I was a little kid, I'd be the first person on the dance floor at a wedding. And I'm always the last one off the dance floor. But my parents saw that I had this love for music and dance and, and signed me up for dance classes as a when I was three. I started um, taking piano lessons when I was five. And it just sort of grew from there of taking ballet, jazz, tap, like any other suburban kid. Um, and then from there, um, picking up more instruments, violin, flute, and then eventually writing my own music. And that's what I went to school for, which is is pretty funny. I went to school to write music, uh, eventually worked in the music industry and got burnt out very quickly. And I had stopped dancing for years. And when I decided to sort of going through this time in my life of, I need to find joy. And the first thing I was gravitated towards was the dance studio was going back to dancing. And I did that, um, and luckily when I was traveling, excuse me, well, luckily when I was in university, I studied abroad uh, the summer between my sophomore and junior year and caught the travel bug. A lot of us who have the opportunity to study abroad immediately fall in love with travel. And um, after that, I made a point to travel internationally, even very cheaply, right? I was a student and then, you know, young, young person. And every time I would travel to a destination where I couldn't speak the local language, I would use dance to connect with people. I like to say I make new friends by dancing with strangers. <laughs> and it is this beautiful way that it wasn't like I would just go up to a random person and say, start dancing <laughs> right. with them. It was festivals <laughs> or holiday, you know, organic, all yeah, organic yeah. opportunities. Yeah. And, and, and they, it would make sense at the time. Um, but it was this wonderful way of really immediately making a connection with people. I'm smiling with them. I'm sweating with them. We're touching each other very um, appropriately. You know, it wasn't inappropriate and uh, very respectfully. 
But then what I found was it wasn't just me learning the dances. It was this door that opened up for me. All of a sudden, I'm invited into someone's home for a family meal. Um, or I'm introduced to a, a whole group of people because I was dancing with them and, and I'm sitting with them at a pub or, you know, so it was the dance and this way of connecting with people that literally opened these gates of, you may not speak Greek or you may not speak Turkish or you may not speak whatever language, but I am making friends. I'm, I'm, I'm having these connections with people that otherwise wouldn't have been possible. And I kept thinking, wow, this is a really interesting way to travel, why not start a TV show? (laughs) And that's kind of how Bare Feet was born. But I love dance. I absolutely love, if you ever see me working, you know, I I go to WeWork a lot to Uh, to, uh to work because I travel so much. And I always have music on and I just cannot stop moving. Like my body just can't keep still if I hear some music. So it's it's who I am. It really is. Yeah, I know what you mean. I you know I, I talk about this uh, frequently, but my my wife is a dancer, and 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 we just we have music uh, all the time. My son mm-hmm. recently got married to a uh, Bolivian a woman. Oh, amazing! And, amazing, yeah. And so I love what you say about this idea of connecting with others because we, my wife and I, recently attended a quinceanera. It was my first time going, and. We danced mm. with strangers, you know, pretty much the whole yep. night. And it was a real yeah. connection that we made with one another. Here we are, these two families from, you know, kind of different mm-hmm. parts of the world, but yet we still connect. Mm-hmm. I think we just need that right now. I- I'm sure you feel yeah. that as you travel. Yeah, 100%. By the way, we did a little Bolivia episode in New York for our season two. If you check it out, we do Caporales. And we dance Tinkus and we do all these amazing dances in the Bolivian community in Queens and out in, in New York oh, City. Check that it's amazing, out. amazing, amazing. In costume too? In costume, uh, yeah. Oh, and it's a that's very so small, great. small community in New York, but super, super yeah. strong and tight knit community. Um, yeah, of course. Like this is the time where it, what's interesting is our viewership went through the roof during COVID, during the lockdown mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. People couldn't travel, so they were like, I'm going to travel virtually through this show. Um, But what we found was the the feedback from viewers, and it ranged from little kids to grandmas and grandpas, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all ethnic backgrounds, all cultural backgrounds, genders, everything. And what we found is our show was so uplifting, is so uplifting, and that people feel like – I would get messages of people saying, you give me hope in the world because there was so much going on, not just the global pandemic, right? There was the murder of George Floyd. There was all this anti-Asian hate going around. And and, and um, there was so much happening in the world that people found this, this little show of ours that really brought them joy. And it brought them joy in the most simplest way of, here's this girl, here's this person who's just going to dance her way around the world and around New York City and around neighborhoods in in parts of the United States. And it really shows our alikeness versus our differences. It shows maybe some people look different than us, but they need the same things we do. They want the same things we do. Um, and I can relate to that. You know, these are things that I've seen from our from our fans. That was the most beautiful thing is I, I can get direct feedback from fans, whether I run into them on the street or or they send me these lovely, lovely notes of our show helped them get through this global pandemic. You know, that's the biggest compliment I could ever receive is is 
is from fans that this this brings them joy. Um, because there's a lot of shows, there's a lot of television out there that doesn't. <laughs> it makes you feel better, sort of better by yourself because you realize your life isn't as bad as what you see on television. I know that sounds horrible, but most reality shows, it's this weird negative effect. And we don't want that. We want to show the beauty in our diversity. We want to show the beauty in the arts, how the arts are essential. The arts are essential for every community to thrive. The arts are essential for 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 everyone and 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 to to be able to to represent um cultures and groups of people that aren't usually represented in media that's been our, our biggest goal for these this new season season four and season five to be exact and i want to talk about those two but i i definitely want to just tell you well first of all congratulations i mean really you, you. you have so much of course you really have a you really have something here. Thanks. And you have a lot to be, oh, yeah, I, my wife and I have watched and we've enjoyed it. We definitely are going to find season five yeah. on our our PBS. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be better at locating that. Um, but I think the story of how you did all this mm-hmm. on PBS, mm-hmm. because, yeah, the foundation, what you accomplished, the joy that you bring, the rhythm that you bring uh, to this world is so important but you really did this on your own and you funded it with your your own savings. And I think for many in my audience who might be starting second acts in, in their lives, mm-hmm. you know, many of us who are, are – I'm 65. We're, we're doing things differently perhaps. But we're enjoying this wonderful joy that you're bringing. I wonder what you learned that you might help our audience with in terms of kind of – how you started all this, how you funded it, what it was that it, it took to just persevere through it and get it done because you've done it. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's interesting. I've been having this conversation lately and thinking about things differently when I talk about uh, when I talk about that. So to give perspective to your listeners, I started this project. I had an aha moment. I literally had an aha moment in January of 2010. So that's almost 13 years ago. I was still in my late twenties. I'm now 40. So there's a, you know, the amount of energy you have from then to now uh, is different. It's different. Um, and I had this aha moment where I woke myself up in the middle of the night, literally woke myself up, shot out of bed and saw almost like a projection on the wall in front of me. Like it was coming out of my eyeballs. I could see what bare feet is today there. I could see everything. I could see the awards, you know, not just the show. Like I could see me dancing and in costume, but I could see my crew. I could see these awards that I was receiving. I could see the the, the subway ads. I, I, it was all these things like, like it flashed before my eyes. And I was like, I'm going to start a TV show. And I scribbled down all these notes uh, in a notebook next to my bed and went to bed. And the next morning completely forgot about it and then saw this chicken scratch. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I had this, this like revelation. Everything, everyone thought I was nuts. Everyone thought I was nuts for good reason. Okay. I had never been on camera. I didn't have any TV background. I was a dance teacher in New York City at the time. I was a teacher and a performer. So I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, which I think is work to my advantage. So for anyone out there who has an idea, and it could be crazy. Most idea, most good ideas are are crazy. Okay. Um it what it kept calling to me because it was something that i loved dearly dance was something that i eventually became a dance teacher like i said but it was something that i felt so passionate about and i loved to travel 
And I also found what my superpower was. I realized I had this really unique and strange gift or talent or whatever you call it of being able to pick up rhythms and dances very quickly on the spot and immediately making this like powerful connection with a complete stranger. I didn't know anybody else who could do what I did. And whenever I would travel for fun, people like gravitated towards me because of it. And I made people feel comfortable enough to, to do this with me. And so I realized that that's my superpower. I don't know anybody else who can do this. So of course I'm going to be the host of the show. Of course I'm going to be on TV and it's going to be a huge success. No, of course at the very beginning, it's not, it doesn't always work that out that way. Um, luckily, because I worked in the music industry for years before that, I was introduced to a few executive producers through friends, and all of them said to me, you're never going to be the host. You just don't fit the bill of what a host looks like, sounds like. Um, you know, it's an interesting idea. But again, this was back in 2010. Uh, this is an interesting idea, but you probably, at best, you'll be able to sell off the idea and a, and a network will buy it and then just shelve it and so that no one else will take the idea. And I was like, well, neither of those options sound good. <laughs> it's right, terrible. Right. Because <laughs> there's no show. Like there's no, there's no show. Um, so I said, you know what? I'm going to go film a pilot myself. Now, there's a big misconception, I think, now, especially because with social media, with the idea of who an influencer is, and when I say influencer, I'm doing air quotes. Um, People automatically assume like someone's going to pay you to do something that you want to do. And that's just not the case in anything. If you're a small business owner, an I think of myself as an entrepreneur. I don't think of myself as an artist. You have to invest in your own business. You have to invest in yourself, including learning how to do, maybe you don't know how to do all of the things that you want to be able to do for your business, but you have to teach yourself. Or if you have the capital to hire someone who can help be part of your team so that you can be successful. I, it drives me crazy when I hear people say, oh, I want to do what you do. Um, how do I get a TV deal? Mm -hmm. like, are you making, are you already telling the stories that you want to tell? If not, then you should start telling those stories, you know? Um, so fast forward, I hired some friends who went to film school with me at NYU. Uh, we, I decided to go to what was it in July? So it was seven months after I had that aha moment, decided we were going to go film this big wheat harvest festival that happens once a year in my family's hometown in Southern Italy. And you can watch that. That's our pilot episode. Spent my life savings. My We stayed in my grandmother's little farmhouse. It's a four room house. Um, she cooked for us every day. We feature her in the show. I knew the language, half of the town, they're all Malutzis. So everyone's like related to me, you know? So I figured this would be a really easy way to start um, and it kind of was, but at the same time, like I, I'm a really good producer and that I can do all the behind the scenes. And then all of a sudden the camera started rolling and I had to be on camera. And I was like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I thought of everything else except the time to, for when the camera starts rolling, but it worked out. It was, it, I think to my advantage is I'm not a host, a trained host. I'm not an actress. So what you see is is what you get. Like I'm all those reactions, they're all authentic. And still to this day, you know, I feel like I've improved as a, as a TV host tremendously because I feel more comfortable, but I never shy away from being vulnerable in front of the camera because that's what our audiences really love. They, they feel like they're with me. They feel like they know me because they have, they've been with me to all of these amazing places and they see me cry. They see me throw up on the side of the boat when I'm getting sick from fishing in, in the Cook Islands or that, you know, it's all these 
being vulnerable, I think, is something that a lot of, in journalism, you're not supposed to show that. And so um, I've been breaking all these rules because I didn't know what the rules were. But I think, you know, that persistence and that that patience, right? This is 13 years later. Uh, it's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy. And there have been so many times when I just wanted to throw in the towel because public television is, we don't get funding from PBS. We don't get funding from anyone except for the sponsors that we find. So the brought to you in part buys. Um, and I've had to navigate and learn along the way how to make a television series, how to be a producer, how to be a host, how to be a, a fundraiser, how to work with these PBS stations across the country, how to work with our distribution distribution partner, American Public Television, how to um, work around work with the rules of public television. Because if you watch PBS, there's no advertising right? You're seeing the brought to you in part by but it's not an ad. So there's like very strict guidelines of what you're allowed to say, how you're allowed to say it. Um, you know, we do a lot with very little and I'm very proud of my team and I for being around for this long, sticking it out. That's, that's half the battle is that whatever business or whatever project that you're pursuing, um, it's the people that last the longest, <laughs> are are usually the most successful because they've stuck it out, you know? Um, I also didn't quit my day job when I started this project. I didn't say I'm going to quit my job and just pursue this. It was about seven years in until I could finally reach that balance of, okay, I'm going to do this time. And a lot of people also have that misconception of if you're going to pursue your dream, that means you just drop everything. No, that's that's completely irresponsible. <laughs> and you'll end up homeless, right? Unless you have... Uh, unless you're independently wealthy, go for it. But, you know, I wasn't, I'm not, that, that's just not what happened. So there's a lot of factors of um, how to really keep a focus on what your goal is. And Bare Feet has always been about sharing, connecting with the world through dance and music. That's never wavered, no matter who was telling me, oh, this is hot right now, you need to do this for travel or add this or take away this. And I thought, no, this is what I know. This is my voice. This is what I love. And I think the most important aspect of pursuing any sort of project is the passion behind it. Hence passion project. If you truly believe and are obsessed with eat, breathe, sleep, dream about, you cannot stop thinking about this thing that you want to do. That's when you know you have to do it. And if you have that much passion for it, it, you will get through the really, really, really tough times. I didn't know anything about TV production. I didn't know anything about hosting. And I had to figure it out. And I'm still figuring it out because the, the landscape of television changes daily. I mean, distribution, one day there's CNN plus, the next day it's gone. You know, like there's all these changes in the industry that happen so quickly. Um, but giving yourself the permission to learn, to figure it out. You may not know all the answers right now, but go and seek out those answers. Put yourself in front of the person that you think sh can help you or, sh or, or who should see you or um, who should be part of your team. Not everything costs money. I mean, for the first season, most of those episodes that we shot, I bartered with friends who were videographers. I said, hey, we're going to be in South Korea. It's a free trip for, for a week. Uh, all expenses paid as long as you can come film with me. And it was just me and one other person. I mean, literally our first season was just me and one person filming. Um, so anything's possible. Anything's possible. <laughs> 
Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates programs here on KSCW, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our KSCW audience can explore our website, for more information at notold-better.com. Of course, our guest today is Michaela Malazzi. Michaela Malazzi is the four-time Emmy Award-winning host and executive producer of Bare Feet with Michaela Malazzi. Its travel series highlights the diversity of dance. It's on PBS stations nationwide. Michaela Malazzi will be at the Smithsonian Associates coming up. Again, we're going to put links so that our audience can find Michaela's upcoming presentation. It's titled Dances of the World with PBS's Michaela Malazzi. It's a three-part program from Smithsonian Associates. Again, Michaela, thanks for sharing that about your perseverance, about the rejection sometimes. My wife and I watched that pilot. It's wonderful. You just get this sense of your family, too, as you weave all of that together. And um, and now you've got your – you're moving. You're diversifying. You know. You're doing some other cool things too. You call. You you have this uh, other uh, area of your business called Bare Feet Tours. Yeah. And I wonder if you tell us a little bit about that too. Sure. So, look, I can't be the only one who's having fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, because I'm having a really good time. Um, so I thought, why not create tours, small group tours? I'm very adamant that they no more than 15 people per group. Um, based on episodes from our show. So we did a, a, one of our first ones was in Bali, Indonesia. That was actually a web series when it was first a web series. Um, and that was with a small group of eight travelers. It was wonderful, it was maybe in 2014. Um, then we did Tango in Buenos Aires was our second tour. And then now we, we, we partnered with AAA Travel and AAA Exclusive Vacations. And we're running, I'm, I'm leaving for Ireland in a few days uh, to run our second run sold out tour of our Bare Feet Tour in Ireland. And they're all based on our episodes in Ireland where we're doing set dancing lessons in Kilfenora in County Clare. Uh, we're dancing with Anne-Marie Nelligan. She's teaching us Shanos in Killarney. But we're also doing, you know, we're, we're, we're getting this beautiful walking food tour in Dingle, uh, which is the Dingle Peninsula in County Kerry with Chef Beelan, world-renowned chef. And and so everything that you see in our episodes, we're really tying into this beautiful itinerary. And we're hoping to launch some more tours, including Flamenco in Spain, Pizzica in Puglia, Italy, um, and going back to Tango in Buenos Aires. But it's a beautiful way. What's been, we just had our, our first one with AAA Travel in May in Ireland. And what was wonderful is they were all really beautiful bare feet fans. So I got to um, immediately make friends with all these people who, who sort of knew me already, but um, it was funny because immediately they're like, I can't believe I'm dancing with you. I'm like, okay, let's get it out of your system. And for the next 10 days, we're going to have a blast. And it was great. It was great. Um, and we had a wonderful, wonderful time. And so, yeah, we're, I'm heading back to Ireland and we're having our second run of the bare feet tour in Ireland. And we hope to have more because I, again, I feel like I have the less luckiest job in the world and I shouldn't be the only one who has this way, this, this access to experience uh, different cultures through dance. And so I want to make that as accessible as possible to people who want to travel with me. Mm -hmm. 
Well, again, you know, we will put links up to where our audience can find out more information about you, uh, the show, and the Bare Feet Tours. Um, let's talk for a second about season five. I know you're very busy. Yeah. I know you are just, you know, with a foot out the door right now, getting ready to, to travel again. Yeah. So I don't want to take up a bunch of your time, but I would like to wrap up a little bit because in a, in addition to all the really great things that you're doing, uh, you know, these these programs of, of bringing joy, to, you're also supporting small business. Uh-huh. And in season five, you really dive into this kind of um, – New York City that has returned in, yeah. in so many ways. So maybe tell us a little bit about season five in particular. Yeah. So season five, um, obviously the world shut down during COVID. Um, and at the start of last year, when the vaccine started to roll out, I realized the city was going to open up. The world was going to open up. And New York City was the hardest hit at the very beginning of uh, the global pandemic. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to capture this beautiful moment, this who knows what's going to happen, but this beautiful moment in history. And I knew that there was this urgency of us to film because if you saw on social media, on Instagram lives, Facebook lives, people were dancing through the pandemic. Dance was this way. We were staying sane. We were staying, staying connected. Um, I even did a whole series called Bare Feet Live during uh, the pandemic where every week I would connect with a dancer from around the world and we streamed it live and they were giving me dance lessons, you know, and I, I prompted everyone else to try with us. So this, this season was about let's capture this moment. Let's also, we can't go back to business as usual because, um, you know, again, with the murder of George Floyd, with uh, anti-Asian hate movement rising, we thought let's give voice to people and populations of people and cultures that don't usually get heard in the media, especially not television. And so we really focused on connecting with groups that were uh, represent BIPOC people. So uh, black indigenous and people of color, as well as LGBTQ, the disability community, the older communities. So we really focused on Let's give voice to these people, the Asian American Pacific Islander. We do a whole episode on that. We do a whole episode in uh, Flushing's Chinatown and Flushing, Queens for the Korean American community and the uh, Chinese American community. So, And that's with the senior dance team too, right? The Korean senior yes, dance. Yes, yes. And these yeah, women are 65 uh, plus. <laughs> they are fabulous. They are fabulous. Yeah. So that was our goal. That was our goal with season five. We actually filmed... 12 episodes. So season five are the first six of those episodes. And and the next six are going to be coming out as season six uh, in early 2023. But we also captured the reopening of Broadway, right? Like iconic New York that had been closed for over 500 days. I mean, I'm just getting chills thinking about that. You know, it's almost like we forget that that whole time happened because things have been sort of getting back to normal again, but the world shut down. So we really have this amazing time to capture how dance has been so uh, important for people, for their mental health, their physical health. But a lot of these, these moments that we captured were first times, right? First time that this dance group got together in person again, instead of over Zoom. First time this dance party happened again in Lincoln Center. First time, all these firsts. And it was just like a beautiful story of New York is resilient. All of these small businesses that stayed open, 
stayed open and survived, you know, like restaurants, bookstores. So we, we feature those. We wanted to give voice and highlight. These are our heroes. These are the people that have been keeping New York alive. So that that's, it's a love letter to New York. That's what season five and season six are. So great. Your enthusiasm is wonderful. Michaela Watson <laughs> has been talking to us. I, I, I just want to encourage our audience to attend this upcoming presentation of Smithsonian Associates with Michaela Malazzi, Dances of the World. And the program is Bare Feet with Michaela Malazzi on PBS. Again, links to everything that you've heard Michaela talking about and the Smithsonian Associates. Boy, have a great trip. Um, And when you're back, please join us again. We'd love an update about all the cool stuff that you're doing. Oh, thank you. I would love to, Paul. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michaela. Our review today is from Faye Rao. It's dated September 28th, and Faye says, The Not Old Better Show is a useful podcast. I listened today to the precious episode. Thank you very much, Paul. Every line touches my heart. It seems that I lost out for a little bit in another state for a while, but now I'm back with Paul, and I love this show. Thank you, Faye. And my thanks to Michaela Malazzi for her generous time today. Please check out our show notes for more details about Michaela Malazzi's upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. My thanks, of course, to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience on radio and podcast. Please be well and be safe, which I'm telling you each show, followed by my message that we have to eliminate assault rifles. Only members of the military use these weapons. Assault rifles are killing our children and grandchildren in the very places they learn school. Let's do better. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next week. And today's music is from Smithsonian Folkways Dances of the World album, which I thought particularly relevant. And the song is titled Tarantella from Naples, known as the Neapolitan Tarantella, the dance that came from the practice of pressing grapes for wine by jumping on them with one's bare feet. Brilliant. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.